Steve, to me, it's kind of funny that that this is a, a little bit of a new way of thinking to you because so much of the stuff that I've seen you write has been about problem solving, especially like the way that like you talk about road mapping is you should have a, a road map of the problems being solved, not features. So it's just a little funny to me to, to, to hear that. Me too. I don't, I don't read what I write. <laughs> Product Growth Leaders proudly presents the Business of Product Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello, everybody. Grant Hunter here for another Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. This week's topic is product metrics. We've had product metrics as a sub-conversation in a lot of things. Actually, our product lifecycle management conversation had a deep place on product metrics. But we decided it was time to take this to the next level. So what we did is we asked the question on Monday. What are the key metrics you should be tracking for your product? And it's always nice when Jason comes in and does what he's so good at, answering the question from the start with a great straightforward answer. Jason, you talked about current revenue and current R&D and support costs as being key usage metrics. It almost sounds like there should be a depends type thing, what you're trying to do with the metric, right? Uh, overall usage metrics to key areas over time to study growth or decline in usage. In your business, you also study transaction volumes and the value of the transactions over time, two of my favorite things to look at. Uh, these are really good indicators of uh, growth in the same for the most part and should trend the same for the most part. The most important metric should only be customer satisfaction. Even though my business currently tracks this, it's not an exact science. Using several different methodologies is, is ideal maybe the leading indicator for the other metrics such as usage and transactions and ultimately profitability. Here, my first follow-up question to you, Jason, how much of metrics is a rear view mirror game versus a forward looking game? Uh, it is all rear view mirror, I would say for us. Customer uh, satisfaction becomes maybe a leading indicator. You may see those things slip before the other things. Is that what you're sort of referring to? I know, honestly, we're um, currently associating uh, both those things because customer satisfaction have to do a lot more with uh, things like our support um, and just the overall how the business interacts with the customer and not necessarily tied directly to um, features. Yep. So for the product management group to, to talk about the, the transactions and usage and those kind of things, which may be tied to that. So it's really like, um, you know, for product management, how can we drill down to the satisfaction for the product itself versus the satisfaction of working with your organization? Because um, those things I feel like can be muddled if you're doing that kind of just the CSAT scores. Um, especially since they're like, will you be a referenceable client for us? You know, that kind of yeah. thing. Well, the um, NPS, right? So, yeah, yeah, the NPS, uh, which I've never really been a huge fan of because it doesn't give us, well, it talks, talks to different personalities. When, I, when I've been answering NPS before it got popular, I was like, no, I probably wouldn't tell anybody about you, but I love your product. I just don't talk about things. Well, 
That's you know, I'm like, then I'm, then I'm, then I learn about what MPS is and I'm just like, wow, I should probably really go back to all those previous MPS questions and rephrase my answer. <laughs> I often, I often score it an eight, even if I might give it a nine, just because I want them to work a little harder. Right. That seven yeah, and eight, that, <laughs> that being that, you know, nine yeah. and 10 is yes, I would definitely. And that's the, you know, the top thing, but the seven that's or eight, right. that's the no man's land. And I, I put a lot of stuff there, but I've also found in a lot of industries where NPS is a standard, <clears throat> the salespeople and support people know it and say, if this wasn't an extraordinary experience, let me know now, because if it, otherwise you should give me a nine or 10. And I feel like that we've learned, we've been able to manipulate them too much. So Ah, yes. Interesting. And Nita went on to say, you know, if your business plan includes fun stuff like MPV, cash flow forecast and stuff, you should track on those, which is really about getting into the, the business side of it. She talked about uh, MPS for some stuff, but then went into 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 it depends. I, you know, Steve, I'd love to get your take on this and Dharma, we're going to get to your answer in just a little bit. All right. Well, I'm still stuck on the last point. Um <laughs> I remember vividly, uh, it, it's, it's interesting when you, when you use NPS as a weapon. Uh, I remember vividly, I was doing a seminar and the AV guy came by and you know what I need for AV? I need a screen and a table in front of the screen. That's, that's the entirety of what I need. Everything else I brought with me. Uh, and he's like, hey, do you want a mic? No, I don't need a mic. I have a big outdoor voice. You know, do you need this? Do you, do you need a pointer? No, of course I have a freaking pointer. Uh, and then the next day I got an email of, you know, how was your how was your service? And I kind of gave it, you know, fours across the board. You know, it was like four out of five. I mean, it, um, you know, it was fine. I mean, but I, I just wanted to screen. And other than that, the guy kind of bugged me a little bit. He then calls me to complain about the score. And I'm like, you've weaponized this research. He didn't know who he was messing with, did he? <laughs> indeed, indeed. But it was just, it was, uh, it's, well, it's unnerving when metrics are used as, uh, as sticks. You know, they should be giving us, like even with win-loss analysis, you know, sometimes I find out the sales guy just brought, dropped the ball. But I don't put that into a win-loss report. I, you know, it, win-loss is not about busting a sales guy for being a jerk sometimes. It's systemic. It's, and I think, so rant's almost over. I, I think often companies look at this on an N equals one basis when they need to be looking at it on an N equals many basis. At the trends of, of the metric, especially with customer satisfaction. Trends, not data points. Yeah. Now, Steve, let me ask you, is that a problem with other types of metrics where they get weaponized inside the company? Where they, or they're, they're not focused on the right things. We're, we're met, we're, we have a metric on velocity in the development team, which is really not, if you're not doing the right thing, why does velocity matter? We're just doing the wrong thing faster. Totally. Well, you know, there's the old stories of, and I don't know if this was ever actually true, but back in the day, there used to be urban legend that when you pay developers for bugs, I mean, for, for fixing bugs, they introduce bugs so that they can remove them later and get a bonus, right? <laughs> and one of my favorite bonusing stories is almost every time I do a training, if there's a, um, a senior executive in the room, they say, don't you think that product managers should get paid a bonus on revenue? And I go, you know, absolutely not. 
the work that we're doing in product management does not affect this year's revenue. And by paying them a bonus on revenue, what you're telling them to do is help the sales guys close deals. Yeah. So in that instance, they've kind of weaponized it as well, saying, you know, I, uh, uh, I want you to be strategic as soon as you get back from that sales call. Yeah. And it, it's also the wrong lens, right? Product management's impacting next year and the year after, not this current cycle. Uh, Correct. So, you know, it, that's where short-termism comes from. Mm-hmm. True. Dharma answered, would be would split this into commercial, the ARM metrics uh, and the subparts and the operation, including R&D, depending on product stage and goals, you focus on a handful of North Star metrics. ARM as in like the R, like some people call them the pirate metrics. Yeah, it's just basically the activation, the acquisition, activation, retention, monetization. Yep. Right. And uh, the operational. Yeah, the operational, again, it goes from anywhere like velocity to no. I look at velocity, for example, going back to your comment, Grant, not necessarily as how fast we can do something, but how much can we do in a given time period? And the velocity yep. is not a set in stone thing. You know, newer teams have lower velocity than more established teams would have would, that have much broader understanding of the product and the problem that the product is solving. Um, operationally, I mean, I would look at it, you know, not just from a um, how the product is performing in the market, but also how the product is performing relative to the company's goals, right? Yeah. Whether it's profitability goals, whether it's expansion goals, you know, whatever be the case, uh, I think those are important. And incidentally, Steve, somebody also asked me the same question in terms of, you know, how do you comp product managers? You know, should they be comp based on revenue? I said, no, but perhaps for established products, you want to comp based on some kind of a PL metric, not necessarily purely revenue. Yeah. Perhaps. Although even there, how much does a typical product manager have control over profit and loss? And, and the way I, you know, finish that statement is, if you want product managers to be paid on profit and loss, you have to give them authority to reject contracts for excessive discounting. Correct. And everybody yeah. flips out. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. And you're yeah. like, well, hang on. How much can I control this? Otherwise, I'm just a victim of it and I get paid or I don't get paid and I have no idea why. But then yeah. it's also a negotiation with FP&A for allocations because all, they're always <laughs> going to put those allocations in there. Yeah. You just get all the allocations out of your product. Yeah, exactly. Oh, 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 those guys don't work in my product. Joy, you you actually answered right after Dharma and said with product development, the first metric is interest in the product and service. The next would be actual adoption. And as the product gains momentum, it'll be usage, lost customers and NPS. Would love to get your take, you know, on where we are so far and, and, and you know, a little more color on your, your answer. So I gave an answer kind of based on it seems like most of my answers are based on startups. And so where I am right now is in new product development. So the very first metric I'm going to look at is interest, because if there is no interest or the interest is low, the report I'm going to give back is we need to move on. This you know product doesn't need to go forward. Um, so I, I kind of went through the product lifecycle with my answers, you know, interest in the product and then actual adoption, because Sometimes customers say they're interested and they'll pay, and then it turns out it's too much effort. So there's yeah. not customer adoption. So you need to keep track of that. But then hopefully there is customer adoption, and then you just keep track of how much usage or, you know, again, customer loss if they haven't logged in after three or six months. And, um, you know, just keep track of features that are popular, features that aren't. I, you know, I mentioned I, I did 
uh, end it, Grant, with simplified answer. Um, <laughs> well, that's what the call is for, right? Is for the more non-simplified answer and the more advanced answer. True, true. Uh, and we we're, we're going to delve into the product lifecycle aspect of that a little later on with one of our uh, questions today. So we'll, we'll focus on that some more. Yeah, uh, I do want to jump into bonus and my response to a bonus. So I've uh, worked at many different companies and I just started at a new company two weeks ago. And um, do I think I, as a product manager, should get a bonus? Um, absolutely, because I want to make more money. Mm -hmm. So when I'm um, determining between options, if one, you know, company offers a bonus and the other one doesn't, yeah, I, I want a bonus just because that adds to my salary, basically. It's like matching, but, but what, like matching 401ks. Yes, what's please. The, what's the best way to, to what, how, <laughs> what should a bonus for a product management person be based on? Well, I mean, that's a great question. And honestly, if I'm getting a bonus, I never would have thought, okay, I'm going to try and help close sales. Um, I guess it depends on the size of the company. You know, I've worked at companies where I'm one of the first 10 employees. And sure, then maybe I'm going to, you know, sit in on sales calls and just so that I can get some feedback, get the temperature. I, I'm not a sales rep. I wouldn't even yeah. try to attempt to close the company that I'm working at now, yes, I'm getting a bonus. Um, there's no way that I could help because there's too many sales reps. I mean, there's too many sales calls. I, I wouldn't even be able to assist. But I do feel that at companies, um, everybody is kind of responsible for the success of mm -hmm. the product, not just product managers, customer service, marketing, sales, engineering, QA, everybody. You know, it's, it's a combined effort. So everybody should get a bonus because we all should feel a little bit of ownership in the success of the company. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I completely agree with the, with that. Uh, the typical product manager gets between 18 and 20% of their base salary in bonus. The trick is based on what, you know, it's typically, you know, one third is company profitability, which you have no control over. Uh, mm -hmm. One third is often is usually like product revenue, which you have no control over. Uh, sure. And then the remaining third is like MBOs, uh, which hopefully, you know, if you're doing them right, you've completed all of those before you negotiate the MBOs. So please <laughs> get those. But, the, you know, the first product management job I ever had, the boss said, my boss said, um, we have terrible customer discovery. Um, you know, all the feedback we're getting is through marketing reports and sales feedback we need some firsthand primary research. So I'm going to pay you your bonus in uh, customer, let's see, documented customer calls. We are blind to the market. So I'm going to pay you at the time, I think it was like $10,000. I think it was like $10,000 was the bonus. So that was, you know, some, some, some good money. Uh, yeah. And it was for 10 documented calls per quarter. And that was the key, the documented. My wife got involved. She's like, have you, have we made our calls this quarter? Because <laughs> you know, baby needs new shoes, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, and, but it was so tangible. It's like, gosh, it's getting the end of, near the end of the quarter. I've only made eight of my calls. And oh, it was binary. It wasn't like $100 per call or $1,000 per call. It was zero or a, or a thousand. 10, yeah. Whatever. Uh, and, and, 
when it comes to metrics, you know, I, I use I've always used a combination of what everybody has said, NPS and and company goals and deriving the product team's goals off of the company goals. One thing that um that Jeff Patton once said in a, in a workshop that I had with him has really stuck with me. And that is, in addition to all of those, always having some sort of a metric about how well we're solving the customer's problems. Now, like NPS might like sort of plays into that because if the customer's happy, then we're solving mm -hmm. the problem. But really figuring out exactly, knowing exactly what the problem is and basing a metric off of that uh, is, and that's obviously going to depend. Yeah. Um, but I've always tried to include something like that. I actually, if you, so many of these metrics are hard to get, right? The P and L. I, I, I don't know the last time I talked to a product leader who said that it was easy for their team to get a P and L for their product, right? It's a tough thing to do, and people struggle with it. And to Steve's point earlier. People don't have control over it, uh, and you know. With that said, you know it's even hard to find some of these other metrics, right? I guess with pipeline reporting now, you can get some of those AARM type stuff uh, a little better. You can use some of the more the product tools to get some of the engagement and usage stuff going. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's hard to. And to me, Paul, those types of metrics, if we could find a way, maybe it's even using some of the product metrics you know, or tools inside of that to start judging that. I love that concept of, you know, the, the value of the customer and how we solve their problems and address their problems is a good way to look at it. Yeah, Steve, that's one of my favorite product books is Jeff Patton's book, User Story Mapping. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you look at, um, I'm going to see if I can get the link to it. Um, Jeff Patton has this thing that he calls the Opportunity Canvas. It's obviously a take mm -hmm. on, this uh, and and all those other different. Um, here's a link to his page uh, about it, and but it's specific about product and about the opportunity. And one of like he's got two boxes in this canvas for user metrics and business benefits and metrics, mm -hmm. and the and that's where he got into this whole thing of okay, one of the user metrics should be how well we're solving that problem that we identified in box number one uh, or in box number four, if it's a business challenge kind of a thing. Um, and it could be like, it's an internal problem that we're solving. So that might be in box number eight on that canvas, which is yeah. business metrics that we're improving. Well, it, it actually brings to the idea of, you know, there should, there could be, or should be metrics through the process. All right. How we're doing, how's our validation metric going? If you're in a new product development and you're okay, We've, have we validated the urgency and the buyer's willingness to pay and the, that type of stuff? Okay, have we done the, you know, what's the validation look like? There's a lot of ways you can leverage business metrics with different parts of the process and different parts of the life cycle. Uh, I think it's also confusing that I, I always seem to get my head mixed up with people-related metrics or departmentally-related metrics. Like, sales metrics and marketing metrics and development methods of uh, metrics, you know, it's like stories completed, number of bugs, those kinds of operational development things versus, uh, you know, a number of MQLs that converted into SQLs. So, so, you know, we often, I think, kind of get pulled off point by thinking about 
the people and departments rather than looking at where is the product in its life cycle and what is the relevant OKR for the product at that stage. I mean, yeah. in, in Joy's case with a brand new product, they should be looking more at adoption and achieving product market fit more than revenue. Yeah. Right. Uh, in the growth period, maybe you care more about revenue than you do about profit. Uh, yeah. And a lot of times, you know, the metrics are we want huge adoption, we want huge revenue, we want huge profit. Uh, and it's like those are almost in co conflict with one another. Yeah. And especially with operational metrics, there are also ones just like the NPS that you could also play with. I, I did a consulting stint a long time ago, many, 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 many years ago with a big uh, call center company. And they had me double jacking with the call center rep, right? Plugging in, just listen to the calls. And I'm a consultant doing a project and he's, and he's explaining stuff to me. He goes, he puts somebody on and he goes, okay, so here's the thing. See, see these number here? We're graded on our, what is our average hold time? What is our average call time? He knew all of them. He goes, my average hold time is really low. So I'm actually just putting people, I already know the answer to this question. I'm just putting them on hold so I can, you know, to give myself a break. <laughs> and I'm like, if metrics are things that can be gamed like that, which is not good for the customer, we need, we need to move on. I'm going to actually do a share screen, which is a little different than what I normally do. But uh, John Harmer had uh, shared a uh, Twitter thread on metrics that somebody by uh, Shreyas Doshi, who I actually think was a Dropbox person. I can't remember. He was one of the, I think it was Dropbox or one of the B2B type things illustrated by, no, it's Stripe. I think is he Stripe uh, illustrated by Andrew Yu. And it was, I thought it was a really good view of, you know, health metrics, usage metrics, adoption metrics, satisfaction metrics, ecosystem metrics, outcome metrics, refining metrics, maybe too many metrics for me. But I thought it would be, you know, when is too much, right? Or what is, what is enough? Is this, is there anything on here that you look at and you, you say this makes sense or this doesn't make sense? I, I look at it as a library of things, right? Potential okay. collection of things. But like I said, I, you know, depending on your life cycle stage, you pick, you know, whatever makes sense for you to focus on an Excel, Yep. Right, and then optimize your execution for those. Yeah, right. you you cannot but you know kind of peanut you know, butter spread yourself. That's just going to be impossible to do. And as as Joey had said earlier, depending on where you are in the life cycle of the product, there may be different ones of these you're looking at. I I, yeah. I I wanted to share it because I thought it was a good, you know, visualization of all different things you could be looking at. And some of it's not even giving you the answer, but it's like understanding what your key metrics are. So. That was me playing around with uh, that type of stuff. And any last thoughts on this? I should go back on this question before we move forward uh, into our poll. Well, let me agree with everybody. Um, yes, and. Now, I think fundamentally there ought to be a small number of metrics that are representing customer satisfaction, you know, that they're, they're, they're using the product, they're coming back and using the product, uh, you know, daily average usage is good, or, um, 
you know, are they using even more specifically, you know, are they using some of these incredible features that we spent so much time on that had a lot of sizzle maybe in the market, but, you know, were they actually being used? But ultimately, you know, if people, a, a metric of our people dig in our product and it's not just, you know, I think revenue is a little too simplistic to get that. I mean, revenue is one thing, renewal is another. Yeah. I'm, I agree with you, Steve. All right. Our poll question, which I apologize. I was a day late on the poll. I lost track of at least a day this week. So I know Jason, I, I, I always call Jason out when, when he misses or is late in something. So I'm acknowledging I'm falling on my sword. My Wednesday was lost because I was waiting for this all day long. <laughs> I'm sure it was, Jason. And the poll question was, how good is your company at, at tracking and using product metrics? I couldn't think of a multiple choice question for this. But, you know, this is a, maybe the type of topic where the heat map thing comes in well. And somebody got their vote in at 11 or 1030 today. I don't know who it was, but I actually saw it come in and I updated the graph. So often somebody answers, up, does the answer to the poll on, on Friday morning and I have already grabbed it. But I, I was a little interested. We've got like a, a dual bell curve here. Uh, nobody was doing it great. Nobody's doing it terrible, but there's sort of a dual belt curve in that sort of, you know, I'd call it 35 to 50% range. And then the maybe 60 to 75% range. Anybody here say they're doing it well? I mean, mine was like, you know, in that 60%. Okay. Cause I think we're doing a lot of great message metrics on, um, usage, like I said, transactions and volumes. And we're being consistent and looking at that year over year. Um, so it's really not necessarily a point in time, but you know, we're definitely looking at it as a measure of time. Um, and I don't think we're necessarily using that information as leading indicators necessarily as something else that may happen. So something that we need to get in front of for a trend, but it definitely is using it as an indicator for us to say, Hey, we're being successful in, I guess, creating products that people are actually using if there's so many other variables in that though that's why it's like well i don't know that's best use and then i think where i where i would like for us to improve where i didn't rate this really really high is on the measure on the measure of customer input for actual satisfaction of the tool and not that the it's just being used more because they have no choice but they actually like to use it because that's important because if um, if a competitor comes around with something that looks like it might be nicer to use, then perhaps they'll go to that because they don't really like our solution and we're just doing a lot of transactions because they don't have another choice currently. So you need to really combine those pieces. And I feel like the second part with the satisfaction is something we can definitely improve on. It would be interesting to see satisfaction is a relative thing, right? Sure and is. Paul uh, talked about, you know, <clears throat> measuring how, you know, how well you're solving their problems, I, you know, I'll, I'll extend that to the value they get from it. And their satisfaction can be high because there's no other solution for it. And you're, it's still underserved, but you're the only option and they're ha happy with what you have because they don't realize something else. How do you pivot that to not be satisfaction, but to be, you know, how well are we addressing this? Are there things we're missing? That could be an interesting play for it. The question I was going to follow up with you, Jason, is how, uh, is it a cultural thing top down for you guys? Is it a departmental thing? 
Because you have some companies that like, I was at GE and it was the metrics they cared about were all financial metrics, right? Everything was at the dollar, uh, but it came from the top down and you knew the metrics you're going to look at. Uh, for you guys, is it a departmental thing? Is it a... Yeah, I mean, we're a, fi- we're a financial based organization that serves a finan- the finance industry or not finance industry, but financial components of organizations. Yep. And so because of that, that's the kind of data that we also like to look at. Um, you know, so, but I definitely agree uh, what Paul said on, you know, making sure that we solve uh, problems. And that really is something that um, should be uh, taken into account. Yes, I agree. Over, over the last couple of years, over the last uh, eight years, I've worked at four different companies and only one of them did a really good job of actually um, tracking what we were doing to com- to company goals and company metrics that we had. And that was because of very strong top-down leadership. Yeah. It was the, it was the CEO and president who set the company goals. And then it was up to the head of each part of the company to translate that into goals for their department. Um, but the goals were tracked all the way up. And, and that's, it's, you know, a lot of those goals for uh, when I've been in those situations and, and to do that cascading goals down from the top, to all the way through the divisions is a very hard thing to do, but I think it's even harder to tie it then to the product metrics because many of those goals are aspirational or forward-looking, where a lot of the metrics are are power back-looking. Maybe some of the operational metrics, but you've already heard how I feel about those. Has so I just want to bring something about value. So the value, if you're going to measure it by value, that's something that you have to get the metrics from the customer if they're giving you metrics let's hope they're tracking their own metrics for making an investment in your software, let's say. Um, And so I had a lot of conversations with customers before we even, you know, before they even start an implementation or anything, I say, are you tracking currently? What's your base? Like what, what are your metrics that you're tracking right now? So that in three and six months after implementation, you know where you stand as far as the value of the application, because if you're not tracking anything, then in a year, somebody can say, well, this isn't doing for us and you'll have no leg to stand on. And then they go, okay, yeah. So they start doing that. Now you're coming up to a renewal for the third time. So you're looking at a customer who you've had for nine years. Now try interviewing that customer and saying, hey, how are we, how, are, what are the measurements for you continuously receiving the value for us? And they don't remember because they weren't involved with the company before they had your application. So it's a very different conversation of value for continuous value after they get way past that point where, and a lot of companies talk about like achieve savings, especially in the enterprise. Well, you achieve year over year. You don't achieve year over year savings with having an application. You might achieve savings in the first year. And then what? So you better have more value besides just that first year savings because then you're replaceable. So I think it also depends on the maturity of you, of where you're at with the actual customer lifecycle, not just your product lifecycle. Does that make yeah. any sense? Makes a ton of sense. When I was at um, this company that does population health programs, like well-being and chronic, man- chronic condition management programs, uh, B2B offered as a benefit to com- that companies offer as a benefit to their employees. So I was brought in to build a new customer portal and build out brand new dashboards and reports for us to show to customers um, of how well we were doing for their population. And based on what we were just saying, those dashboards and reports were strictly 
basically to prove to the customer, the HR benefits administrator, that we were providing value to their organization. And when I joined, they weren't, uh, when I joined the company, uh, I looked at the reports and I'm like, oh, the 80s called, they want their reports back. Um, the, the reports were awful. Um, when the company first started, they actually weren't so good at what they were doing. So they threw in so many points of data into the reports, it looked like it included the kitchen sink. And as the company got better at what it was doing, they never improved the reports. <laughs> so they had one metric that they were using really to prove to customers that we're providing some sort of value. And that was for everybody that we engage in our programs, how much money are we saving you in healthcare expenditure? But the one thing when I joined and started doing my research that was missing is these health benefits administrators, they wanted to know, all right, we're saving some money, but how much healthier are you actually making my population? We weren't doing a, a good job at all of showing that to them. Yeah. So it was tons of research to figure out. We came up with metrics to show them how many hospitalizations we were able to avoid, how many pounds people lost as a whole, how many people stopped smoking, um, how much uh, less days of work were missed, things like that, that really showed the value of the program to the company so that they would keep renewing with us. You know, I think that is a, a great anecdote because you get to that if you're truly going to be about, Drucker says, the, you know, a company serves to create a customer and it's the customer's view that we're doing this by. All the metrics we talked about earlier were about us, right? <laughs> They're about our profit, our development stuff. If you can find a product metric, which is actually something you would be willing to share with and your customers because it's showing the value for them, to me, that seems like a golden metric, right? You can take it to Willy Wonka and get a tour. Mm. Uh, um, I'd love to share one more anecdote at this uh, budgeting and financial forecasting software company that I was at up in Boston. Um, we had software, we weren't, our budgeting couldn't work for every industry. We couldn't work for banking, for real estate, just they do accounting and budgeting differently than some other industries. Yep. But what we did do really, really well, better than any of our competitors, was doing budgeting for your personnel and all of your salary related expenses. We actually had customers that were giving us a 10 out of 10 on NPS because we could just do their budgeting forecasting, even though we couldn't do the rest of their budget. That's like we good. tried sometimes to dissuade them from buying the product because we knew it wasn't going to work for them, but they really wanted this personnel part. And we got high marks on, of satisfaction from them, even though we were only doing a quarter of their budget. Well, and what that tells me is it's all about focus, right? You find the right, it goes back to last week, market segments and uh, and that type of stuff. You go back to, you know, it's about focus. It's about that niche. Uh, but if you can do that, you can knock those numbers out of the park. Joy, I'd love to get your take. Did you vote on this? I did not. Okay. Um, and I know reason, you can change companies, but where would you right. tend to vote yourself? Right. So the reason I didn't vote is this company, I'm in week two. I don't really know. Um, I can tell you that moving forward, anything I have control over, we will be managing metrics. Um, I can tell you that the last company that I worked at was terrible. <laughs> Just it was a very, very large company. They had Again, no you're getting very blue, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
they they had no metrics. They had no idea who was using what. They didn't know the revenue. You had to go to Oracle. You had to go to Tableau. You had to go to Salesforce. None of the numbers matched. It was very frustrating for product managers. But the company considered themselves, they're, they're changing their mindset now to become a product company. They were services driven. Yeah. The API is working, file, you know, batch transfers. They're, you know, here's the time frame. It's, you know, being responded. That's great. But which model is being used? Which score is being used? Which, and which customer yeah. is still accessing it? And they didn't know. They just cared that the API was up and, you know, file transfer FTPs, they're working, you know, it's not down. So that was, that was frustrating, that company. I can understand. I've been there before. Dharma, did you vote? I did. Uh, I did. I, I think I maybe voted too generously. Uh, not for <laughs> this conversation, you're not downgrading. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think, you know, my experience has kind of been on the, the growth side of products. So there's a lot of focus on, you know, um, the money that we're making and kind of the adoption that we're getting in the, in the market. Um, but even there, I think the reason why I didn't date it any higher was the fact that in such certain situations where, I, where I've inherited existing product, what I've found was that the instrumentation needed to create good quality metrics is usually an afterthought in products. And it's very hard to go back and justify an investment later on. Mm -hmm. very, uh, very good point. Very true. And also the investment includes, you also have to now get into all that code to put this new stuff in to, to, yeah. to be tracking it. Steve, before that is actually a great pivot to the next question. Steve, before we get to the next question, do you have any thoughts on, on the poll? Uh, well, no, uh, okay. but I just want to do a yes and, uh, you know, I, I, when I've been thinking about metrics through this whole conversation, I've been doing what everybody does, looking through the lens of us. Yeah. You're tracking sales productivity and development productivity or whatever. And I'm delighted at the, the spin in this to say, you know, well, how would the, the customer measure success? And there are two things that I need to go back and put into my metrics articles. I get two reports every month saying how good they are doing for me. One is I use this tool called Text Expander, which is a, a Mac, like macros. And every month they send me a report that says, based on the reduced number of keystrokes, I saved you 17 hours of typing this month. And every month I get it and I laugh and laugh. I'm just like, oh, that is so great. 17 hours, you know, and I feel so much better now. And I get the same thing from Nest. I get a report every month saying, this is how much power you use compared to last month and compared to your neighborhood. And I always walk away feeling better than my neighbors. I, I get that from Pico on my, I am 12% I am more efficient than my efficient neighbors. Because I'm better, right? Yes, but because well, I spent all the money for the efficient. They're providing you, you know, this feedback based on your usage, which I think is brilliant. Um, and I've been in so many training situations where, you know, they don't even have product revenue, not even gross revenue at the product level. And I, I had a conversation with a CFO and he said, well, I had no idea you guys would even want something like that. And you're like, how do you want us to, you know, measure PNL? And he's like, oh, you guys are doing that. I thought you were just counting bugs and, you know, number of feature requests closed. Well, it's it, it sort of the part of it is the metrics you 
cover can show how technical or tactical focused you are versus how strategic in business you are. Good but point. that full ev evolution of it, it's it's how external focused you are outside in versus inside out. Yeah. So as always, an incredible conversation it has me thinking about a lot of things. Dharma was talking about how often it's an afterthought to get the right tools in place to do it. My first question for the for the call is what are the toughest product metrics to get and why? And Dharma, would you say that some of those usage and engagement things are the toughest to get because they're an afterthought and now you have to get investment for that or? Yeah, yeah. If you have it there, it depends, right? If you have it in, if, you use, if you're using Pendo already, great. Yeah. So like, for example, um, most people will look at like a, you know, active users as a proxy or sufficient proxy for, you know, product usage. But when I look at product usage, going back to what we we're discussing earlier, you know, how do you measure task completion rates? How do you measure success, um, happiness of a customer? Like, are, are they being efficient? If it's a, if it's a UX driven product, are they being efficient in how we solve their problem? Those require much more uh, ingrained uh, events tagging and and uh, monitoring that without which Pendo will kind of scream, dump a whole bunch of data at you that you wouldn't make sense out of, yeah. right? And that's the that's the part I'm talking about. Um, and then the second part is like going back to uh, you know Paul's point about what kind of value are we unlocking for our customers. This was a class, you know, I hadn't thought about it from a product metric standpoint. This was like a situation where I had to deal with for giving product marketing something that they can go kind of um, evangelize around, right? Yeah. I was in a situation where all the backend data that we had, we couldn't, we couldn't say, so what enough mm -hmm. about the product? Then they were like, okay, so what? I mean, what does this really mean for our end customers? It was a, it was a hard kind of, you know, a few months until we had to fake it until we could make it. But, uh, you know, with a lot of suppositions and hypotheses. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the second part of it. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because if you've ever read the book Switch uh, by the Heath brothers, who's always talking about change management. And there was a story about just trying to get some checklist stuff into uh, operating rooms to, to minimize infections from, and deaths from surgery or something like that. And part of it was setting a BHAG, you know, we're going to, we want to save a, a million lives or something like that. If you can find that product metric, which is value to your customer and showing them as a whole, how you're doing it, that would be a great type of thing for, you know, you know, to Steve's, you know, we've saved you 17 hours of, of typing or whatever it may be. There's a great play there to do that. But, you know, the, my first thought on this question before I got to it, when I was, we were talking about, the value-based stuff is that's got to be the hardest because part of it's a finding a relevant measure that actually matters to them and is relevant to the business. Uh, mm -hmm. I was thinking P and L's originally when I wrote the question, but you know, cause it's hard sometimes to extract that stuff. Jason, I'd love to get your take on this question. Well, I convinced myself with my previous answer to something else that I think the <laughs> hardest metric to get uh, or the toughest product metric to get is the value your product delivers to the company, yeah. to the customer. To the customer. I, yeah, I, I think- It's based on their metrics and that can be hard to get. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly where my head is right now with that. It's, you know, uh, 
literally, I had all my answers before today. I knew I write the questions. I know what I'm going to say because yeah. I, I write them because I have a talk track for it. And it just totally blew up in this call. Joy. So based on this call, I'm, I would change my question at my answer. My answer was going to be, you know, Google analytics and usage and lost customers and, you know, how often they're accessing it. And now I'm thinking I'm going to do a survey that asks more qualitative of all my customers, you know, how much time is saved, how efficient is it, how much less stress, because in particular, my product causes a lot of stress. Do you feel when accomplishing this process? Um, right now, our target market uses spreadsheets. And one of the term, I've done a couple of interviews and they call them scary spreadsheets. So my question is going to be, how much less scary is this process now with this yeah. product compared to? Um, so thank you for making me kind of rethink uh, a metric for my product. Paul, did we just all take steal your answer? Yeah, basically, it's even though I said I like to focus on how well are we solving the customer's problem, that's sometimes really hard to define of how you're going to measure that. Uh, I, uh, Dharma, you said something before that has triggered a thought. When I'm, I'm right now, I'm looking for a job. Even in the past, when I've looked for a job in product, I always ask them to tell me what's the unique value proposition that the company offers. And really, I start to make a decision about whether or not I want to work for that company, and how well the CTO or VP of product or the CEO can articulate the unique value proposition that they offer as a company. I mean, that unique value proposition, that's kind of where I start to look at these user-centric, how well are we solving the problem metrics, um, but they're, they're hard to sometimes figure out. No, so you're no. saying a unique value prop of we're 64-bit platform with 256 uh, uh, encryption is not really inspiring you? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it, it, why? it's amazing how many people when I get on the phone for coaching them on like product management, they're like, first we need you to understand our product. We're a platform, and then I sing songs in my head for 20 minutes while they do their VC pitch. And then I come back out and say, you know, well, well, okay, what, what problems are you trying to solve and for what personas? And they're like, everybody. <laughs> but I, I, I love that as an interview question, you know, if, it's amazing how many people don't know their value prop or, or even, you know, as Joy was saying, you know, what does success look like for you? Yeah. I, that's it's yes, I agree. Let's get to the next question. <laughs> How should the product metrics you track change as your product moves through its life cycle? And Joy, I'm going to go lead to you there first because you actually started talking about it. And as you said, the simple answer, as you look at, I mean, and, and you are very much a startup person, how do you see the metrics change even just through getting to product market fit and inception, you know, inception to product market fit and then into the growth phase and even hyper growth, that type of stuff. How do you see it change? Well, I, I, I'm not sure how much more I would answer based on the answer I gave before. Um, you know, the first thing that I need to look at is interest. Because if you have a robust product as it is with a lot of customers, there, I mean, that is displaying interest. 
Um, so before I'm going to spend any more time on development or market positioning or competition, I want to see what the interest is. That's, that's where you have to start. Um, and then at that point, you know, after you determine that there is interest, you need to identify how much adoption is there. Is there as much interest as you thought there was? Is there any adoption at all? Um, and then once the product becomes a robust product, you just need to keep them interested and you need to identify, is there any change in needs? Do you need more functionality? Do you need less functionality? Um, you know, you need to keep up with that. The product needs to grow with the market, with the users. When do you ever shift to a more dollar revenue in that type of focus? I mean, I, at least my interpretation of interest and adoption are more like numbers, not dollars, right? That's an interesting point because um, in working with sales, they want to charge a lot. They don't want to leave any dollar off the table. And, um, you know, I wrote down, I think it was Steve who earlier said with new product development, you need to look at um, an adoption and product market fit to start out with. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I don't, and this is why I don't own my own company. I'm not thinking of the dollars, unfortunately. Um, I am thinking more interest and usage always with my product. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I, I, I'm, Right out of business school, uh, I was working at GE and the CMO decided to have a lunch with the CEO. And I was one of the people in that lunch with the CEO. And GE was so focused on operating income that they were un they were reducing investment in marketing in a market that was growing 30 plus percent a year. I'm like, shouldn't we be focusing on growing the pie, right? <laughs> Versus you know, or growing our piece of the pie, not optimizing our profits. And so maybe it's that GE lens I came from that where I'm always like thinking, all right, which is the, you know, where, how do I do it? But I always had that dollar head, you know, or, or at least the retention rates, that type of stuff. But that was always was the retention rate on a dollar basis or a customer basis. Uh, so I just was an interesting question I had. So Dharma, I'd love to get your take. Sorry, I muted myself. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, I tend to be a little bit more commercially focused um, in, in my opinion, you know, like from what I've seen. I look at like adoption, satisfaction, happiness, et cetera, as a proxy or kind of a contributing metric to what you really want to do with a product, which is to grow a successful business, you know, either if it's a single product company or a multi-product company, you know, to, to grant to your point, you know, in a commercially oriented company, you're there to make money for the company at the end of the day. Um, so I look at that as a key metric to say, how, what are the things that are happening over time when I look at the product lifecycle that's going to help me achieve the next goals that I need to achieve to grow this book of business, right? That's the mentality that I bring in. Sometimes it's, you know, you're looking at early customer success. Sometimes you're looking at you know, brand recognition. Sometimes you're looking at, you know, accelerating uh, time to value for the customers you're onboarding. Sometimes you're looking at expanding the reach through partners and ecosystems. You know, all these things come into play depending on which part of the product lifecycle you're on, what kind of growth strategies are you taking to go to the next level. Makes sense. Jason. 
Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, coming into enterprise products, I don't have too much of this like overall product life cycle. So I've been thinking about how that would change. Um, I just, all I can say is that like the, there's several aspects. There's, you know, amount of customers you have, amount of usage per customer that you should be tracking over time of the life of the customer. And then there is what would be the expected usage for that customer because each business has their own dynamic. They can be growing, shrinking, M&A, um, you know, they can be going through bankruptcy and those kind of things. So how do you expect, it should also be like, you should map the expected usage based on the environment of the customer, um, regardless if that's up or down, so that you know that your alert, your warning system for um, if your product is dying and needs to be re-energized or whatever you want to do to it um, is accurate versus just as uh, single or, empirical data you know um, it, it, it's interesting because we at when i was at ihs that was one of the big things is we would but by industry by size of company we would start looking at revenue and usage by a number tug to tag to the number of engineers they had and our whole goal was to get those people who were in the bottom third up to the middle third and the people in the middle third up to the top third and it was like how do you do it is it usage? Is it other value things you could do? But those are being able to look at that, especially in a more mature market uh, and more mature product was very valuable to me. Actually, I didn't thought about that one in a while until you brought some of those things, similar things up, Jason. Thank you. Paul, now you've got me thinking, how does you measure value? Is the if you find that one measure of value for the customer, is does it become the same one all the way through your life cycle? Um, I found it often is um, the, the core value of your product that shouldn't necessarily change over its life cycle. You're solving somebody's problem. You, you should continue solving that problem. But you may, over time, um, start solving other related problems to that in your product or with um, different with additional products. Yep. So for me, that metric, you should be getting better at solving people's problems as the, as the life cycle of the product improves. At some point, it will probably plateau. Yeah. Um, but, and then... But that actually then becomes a great measure of when you should be thinking about... Sunset. Uh, sunset and that type of stuff. Steve, any thoughts on the product life cycle and how things change or should we just head to the lightning round? Well, you know, I was I was all prepared to say yes until I found myself agreeing with Paul again. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that all the metrics I've ever really used have been inside out. You know, it's number of seats, you know, amount of revenue, uh, uh, customer retention. But I, I think Paul makes a really good point. I mean, the value prop is you will be more successful in your job because of our tool stays the same no matter. Uh, but, you know, as, as you and I talk about product lifecycle management, you know, I was, I'm already in my head of, you know, in, in the intro phase, we want to track adoption. And then in the growth phase, we want to track revenue. And then in the latter half of the bell curve, we track profitability, but those are all inside out measures. Yep. So I guess I, in, in summary, I say they, the inside-out measures change as you move through the product lifecycle, and the outside-in measures should not. 
it's funny, it, to, Steve, to me, it's kind of funny that, that this is a, a little bit of a new way of thinking to you because so much of the stuff that I've seen you write has been about problem solving, especially like the way that like you talk about road mapping is you should have a, a road map of the problems being solved, not features. So it's just a little funny to me to, to, yeah, to hear that. Me too. I, I, don't, I don't read what I write. <laughs> All right. We're going to get to the lightning round. If and, and Paul, I'm going to let you go first because I don't want anybody to steal, you know, and, and I'm not putting any answers in your head <laughs> if you want something else. If you could have only one metric, just one, Jack Palance, right? One thing, what would it be? It's the one I've been talking about. It's how well are we, are we providing the unique value proposition and solving the problem? I, yes. Jason, do you want to try to follow that? Yeah, um, I would just say ROI. Okay. As a, like a single number. Yep. Dharma. I, I'm, I'm going to pick number of customers. Number of customers? Every, yeah. Every, every other thesis that you do should result in growth, and number of customers should be a good proxy for that. Awesome. Joy. Uh, since I'm not duplicating, I will say yes, and uh, let's go with the happiness quotient. How happy are we making our customers? Okay. Steve. Oh, I'll just, I can't repeat what Paul said, but I'm going to agree with it. <laughs> Steve always breaks the yes and rule. He just makes his own <laughs> rules. And, you know, I... I'm on the same page. Uh, what I'm going to put out there is the metric that I was always a, tr a true north for me was net retention. So that takes the growth in, but also the retention rate you're having and showing you, A, are you growing your current customers and are you keeping your current customers? So net retention would be that one for me. But that being said, you know, as we talked about, Steve, you know, I don't think we've ever had a call where my whole core belief system lens on a topic has pivoted so drastically as this one. And Paul Hurwitz, uh, you can wear your biking outfit anytime on this call if you're going to bring those types of insights and value. So as we all know, on Mondays, the question goes into the community, Jason gives us great answers and everybody does. We're getting more and more people done. On Wednesdays, if I'm paying attention, the poll goes in. Obviously this week I was not paying attention. And then on Fridays, we have these wonderful calls and I'll be honest, I'm swimming in my head right now because I'm now thinking about everything we're building, Steve, and how we need to, you know, product operations and product lifecycle management and how there's a whole new take here. Uh, and there'll be an asterisk, thanks to Paul. Uh, for helping us change our, our, our lens and our, our view on that. So Jason, Dharma, Joy, Paul, and Steve, thank you guys so much for a wonderful call. Hey, we hope to see you next week. Answer the question on the call. Have a great weekend. Everybody out. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you guys soon. Take care. Right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Business of Product Topic of the Week brought to you by Product Growth Leaders. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. 
And for more great content and to participate in the topic of the week conversation, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.